This is Paul. This is Caroline. And tonight, we return to our coverage of NBC's This Is Us. This is the premiere of the fifth season. This is a two-part premiere. Both episodes are called 40, part one and part two. Makes sense. Can you believe we made it all the way to 40 with them? Yeah, definitely. (laughs) I feel like they're catching up to us, Paul. Like, our time has stayed still, especially this last year. Like, we've just, like, frozen in time. And they address that, which is something that we're going to hit over and over again in this podcast. So for you guys who haven't listened to us before, or maybe listened to us over on Daily Review, you know that we don't go by plot points, we go by characters. And so we're going to talk about where our characters started and where they ended in these two episodes and make some predictions about what do we think's going on, where should they shoot next. The flashbacks for these two episodes, how, how do you think Laurel went from the vibrant woman that he met on the bus? Mm-hmm. to craving, needing heroin just after Randall was born. What happened? Previous to this episode, these two episodes, I would have said that I thought that Laurel and William had gone down a bad path together, that they had gotten into drugs at some point. That was their story, or as much as we had known from the previous seasons. Now, this one, I felt like they revised that a little bit that she had been been dabbling, I guess, into different things, but that she had been clean. And, and I didn't take it like she was craving heroin. I took it like she was in extreme pain because she had just given birth unassisted, um, not in a hospital setting or anything where anyone could, could relieve her of that pain. And so I wasn't taking it like this was a drug addiction issue at that point, but that she was just in extreme pain. And that really changes what her story is for us because before it was much more of like this unknown, you know, sadly addicted to drugs, a woman that we really didn't know much about. You know, she she just fell to the addiction, basically. And this time I felt much more like she was a mom who wanted to do everything she could, be a great mom. She was excited about moving to a better apartment. Um, I thought that was a really cute scene when she was like, we're gonna, we're gonna do all these things and we're gonna move two floors up. Like that was yeah. like very endearing. So this was a very different take on it. Now, I don't know if this was always the plan to continuously evolve Laurel's story, make us think one thing about her and then over the seasons kind of reveal like it's not exactly what you thought happened. I have huge questions in my little old brain about, well, basically the events of the world today took the intended through line for our characters and and just pitched them in another direction. Laurel seems like something they could have had set from the beginning. It's possible. It is possible. However, I kind of felt like in the flashback portions here, they really got a lot of mileage out of old footage. And it's a little hard for me to know if this was due to COVID, due to the the time constraints and and maybe footage that they had already shot, just the safety of, of how things are being filmed these days. Yeah. So... I'm not sure how much of this was the truly from the beginning intended story and how much, especially the second episode, really was old footage. It it was stuff, you know, yes, there was like some new lines and stuff, but I think those, it is plausible that some of that stuff was filmed a long time ago. Dr. K. Yeah, certainly. But also we had talked about for a long time, like the kids only stay kids for so long. Like those little guys who were playing like the 10 year olds. You can't just sit on that. Like you have to film all their 10-year-old stuff because 
they're good. Their bodies are going to change. They're going to grow. Their voices are going to change. You have to film that stuff. Right. So some of this has to be footage they already took care of. Again, not knowing how maybe they could edit it and, and fit it together. They could have changed and crafted the story a little different. When you say the, the recent events, BLM and COVID, those two things were talked a lot about in the panel that we had with NBC earlier this week. The takeaway from that that I got concerning the fact that they are now going to really delve into current events and things that are really happening with us was that they were going to try to weave them into the character stories. We all know there's no way they could have planned two seasons ago to have COVID be a part of their storyline. So maybe they had inklings of having Randall question his place in BLM and his uh, past having to do with his family and what had been discussed and not been discussed. But there's no way that anyone could have foreseen this our 2020, you know, or if you did, I hope you hope you're <laughs> placing bets in Vegas because you've got a keen predictive sense. But to your point and, and, and to the to the panel's discussion, what they had said was that they had always shied away from politics. You know, they didn't do a big Trump episode way back in 2016, where other other shows did on NBC. Well, it's really I mean, it's, it's they have a politician in the cast. Or as a character, but they don't ever really mention his politics, his party, right. what the other guy's politics and party were. Very good point. They yeah. Ma- they managed to have that and not have it at the same time. So this is something that I think is really an important change for this season and something that as I'm watching Twitter during this, we're actually recording right now as people are watching the episode, I'm seeing a lot of different commentaries. So some people are saying things like, wow, I wasn't ready to relive this yet. I've I've seen that in multiple forms. That is a comment that I made to you that I was like, wow, you know, this is, we're still living COVID. We're still in the middle of BLM and trying to figure out what next steps are. It's almost surreal to see these people, especially at the beginning in episode one of Kevin getting the phone call or getting the texts and him being like, oh, I'm sure this isn't any big deal. And then like you're watching him realize that COVID's a big deal and that this is going to be a long time and they're preparing quarantine and stuff. To be honest with you, since we're still in quarantine, like my heart is having a little bit of a hard time watching my characters go through what we are still going through. Yeah. Are you struggling with that at all? Or do you do you feel like that that feeling is going to be prevalent within our with with our viewers and our listeners? From having done this podcast now, this will be our fourth season doing it and gotten comments kind of every which way on a given view on the show. I'm, I'm thinking about it right now. And if they would have just kept going along in their NBC Universal universe, absent of actual events of, of America right now, they would have been called tone deaf. They would have been called, why, why couldn't you use your platform? Why couldn't you do this? Why couldn't you do that? You have the, one of the most prominent black actors on television and in movies. Why don't, you, why don't you do something with them? Then on the other hand, there's going to be people tomorrow that might say what you just said, which is why, why do I want to be entertained by what's making my life suck right now or some other variation? I don't mean to minimize, but that's the short version. Yeah, let me just read off a couple of these tweets and I'm just going to say them verbatim. Turns out I need commercial breaks to have a chance to collect myself. Bitch, I'm exhausted by this show. Are they really going to do this with Randall after the love he was raised with? Fuck off, this is us. I'm just reading verbatim. This show 
makes me want to shit. I don't even want this because it's heartwarming. No, I don't want twins with a man I had a one night stand with. <laughs> like people are just like they have a lot of very strong reactions. And I feel like, you know, on, on the flip, I'm seeing things like this is so sad that Randall had to deal with this all by himself. Do Kate and Kevin really understand the struggle for Randall and why the BLM conversation is so important? I really honestly believe that this shift and deciding to embrace what's currently happening in the world is going to divide the audience in a pretty severe way. I think there's going to be people who really feel like I never needed the Pearsons to live in my exact time and place. Mm -hmm. They could have been a family that, yes, I know they're living in the same year we are, but it didn't have to look, they didn't have to deal with all the same things we're dealing with because they certainly weren't. We've watched them the last four seasons. They weren't dealing with, like you said, the politicals, the the economy, you know, we kind of marveled all the time, like, wow, Randall and Beth seem to be able to just do anything at any time. Well, in this episode, finances come up. You know, Beth is talking about how her her dance studio is failing. Failing, I mean, we've never talked about their finances before. And it's something that you and I have actually discussed in a previous podcast. Like, how do they have all this stuff? How does this work? I don't know what this is going to do to our audience, Paul. I, I think it could really run the gamut. I think you could get some people really jump on board and some people say, I needed an escape, and if I wanted to 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 relive what's going, I, I could just go in my living room <laughs> and and have this conversation right now. I think you're seeing it on the Twitter live feed currently, and we, like she said, we're recording it as as it's happening. So, and the reviews have all been embargoed until later tonight. So we <laughs> we don't really know. All I can say is we predicted this. I mean, we basically said that. You know, there there's really no way that every person in the audience is going to accept this specifically because this is a change in the way that they're delivering the show. This has always been a family show with internal family challenges. Yeah. And they really weren't having to deal a whole lot with the outside world. You know, things always seem to kind of fix themselves. Randall did get elected. Beth did find her calling. Kevin did make the big blockbuster movie. Toby and Kate did work it out. They always kind of had like anything that was external to them kind of just was really background. And so just for the change, whether it was the right change at the right time, can be discussed in a separate conversation, but just the simple change in tone, you're going to gain viewers and lose viewers, I think. I think you're right. Let's dive into our characters, Paul, because this is something that I think is going to be an ongoing conversation we have for the remainder of season five. We're going to have to see how they tackle these issues and if they do a good job of weaving in the stories that they already had planned for these characters and stay true to them. Because I do have some question marks about how... Things have been revised a bit, specifically, like I said, that tweet about are they going to do this about Randall mm-hmm. with all the love and the and everything like are they going to change his character to where he is much more leaning towards at the end of these episodes, much more leaning towards feeling resentful towards everyone in the family. You know, while we're in the middle of a fight right now, until I totally get that, this stretched back to, to Jack and, and Rebecca's young parents and stuff that – it's really going to change the characters if that's how we're going to start telling the story. I, I, I see what you're saying. And what are they going to do that's going to be a realistic and satisfying kind of way to reconcile? Because we, we have that future 
clip by Rebecca's bedside where if they don't exactly reconcile, they are at least, you know, okay to be around each other again sometime in the future. Which we know is not that far in the future because if you guys remember from from the previous seasons, we did have the flash forward of Kevin with his twins, a boy and a girl, who were not very old. They were maybe 10 years old. Yeah. So we know if Madison's pregnant now, let's all assume he doesn't have a different set of twins in the future, that these are the twins that Madison's carrying. And therefore, we only have, I'm going to say, eight to 10 years looking forward, which actually seems like quite a bit given Rebecca's state currently. Yeah. Well, people can people can live in, I mean, she's, her body's still young, so she can kind of live quite a kind of quite a while with that mental state. Unfortunately, we were starting to dive into our flashbacks when that sort of led us into what were ch- what they have changed about the show. Let's talk about the flashbacks a little bit, and just especially for people who are maybe forgetting what these original scenes had looked like, like when we're talking about Laurel and William. I mean, what a dramatic change of events with Laurel's story to not only have the fact that she was really just taking some drugs just really honestly to take the edge off of the labor pain and and to just just to just try to feel better for a minute she but you jumped to heroin i mean don't they got you know i don't know what you're talking about like you're acting like that but like do you think tylenol is the right thing for someone who has just given birth alone i don't think heroin is I, i think it's what they had and she was already on methadone because she was trying to come off of heroin. So, you know, she couldn't go to a clinic. I'm going to feel for her because I cannot imagine giving birth to a full-size, full-grown baby with no assistance. I mean, I had a nurse who was like working things down, down. And I had, I definitely, I had an epidural. I I was comfortable. I didn't have a C-section. I was comfortable for the most part. I mean, I was not in excruciating pain, but everything I ever see about somebody who has a baby like that, she probably is torn, Paul. Like, I mean, I know that's graphic, but like, you're not really thinking yeah. about how bad this pain would be when you say Tylenol. That that is not Still. <laughs> going to help you. I know for you, I understand. It, why didn't they go to the hospital? Did they say why? She said that she didn't. She felt like that she would have to tell them she was on methadone. That was going to cause a problem. She said the baby came too quickly to get to the hospital, but this was after the fact. Oh. And so she didn't want there to be a situation, I'm sure, that where they'd call CBS or anything else. I don't want to get dive too deep into that because that's really not the main thing, except for them giving her a reason to say, like, it would be natural to be in a ton of pain. So she turned to taking a drug that they had available to them. See, I'm just wondering what I'm, my original question about the difference there is that there's two sets of flashbacks for them. There's the getting pregnant pregnant and early pregnancy and then there's the late pregnancy birth death scene she is much different you know she is very alive all the colors are bright you know there's kind of this i don't know if you ever noticed but whenever they want to show the 70s yeah it's very psychedelic well it's very orangey it's like (laughs) there's an orange wash over everything Mm -hmm. and that's how it was when they were telling their friends about the pregnancy and all that and when times are bad and William's all, you know, sweaty looking and, and uh, worried and, and it's all blue. You, you notice that the color was all was all very blue and, and cold. I like that you notice that. That's that's a very cool style choice of the, on their part. Well, deliberate 
it was an easy way to tell which <laughs> which set of flashbacks you were in <laughs> with the same characters because it was a big visual difference. So I just I'm just like, what was that slide? I mean, I I think that they tried to talk about it a little bit in previous episodes. I don't think in this one, if you looked at it in isolation, that you would really understand Laurel's story. And I don't I don't claim to understand it fully here. Because it's changed, it's changed a little bit than how they had told it before. The biggest change that we have to talk about, of course, is that William leaves with the baby and Laurel has a heartbeat. That is huge. That means Randall still has another parent out there that is going to blow this storyline way open. There's a moment much later on in the second episode when Rebecca wants to have a hard conversation with Randall about the keeping the secret, you know, and all that stuff. Her memories are faulty already. Yeah. Her ability to have that conversation, which she wants him to have, is going to diminish at some point to the point where it's not worth having anymore. Yeah. Randall was there to help find her, and that was about it. His brain sorted out the whole antihistamine thing. But once he was done with that, he was like, I'm done. So he wasn't there for heavy shit that day. Right. It wasn't the right time to open a can of worms. I mean, that is a big conversation to have. And she's just had a very traumatic experience. Yeah. So it didn't feel right. But I mean, her line of, well, when would be the right time to talk about this? I mean, the clock is ticking. You know, this was a clever storyline with Rebecca in that we were led to believe, again, previous season, that her decline had been rapid, Mm -hmm. that she was now wandering off, completely lost and all this. Now to find out that really this was an interaction between the antihistamine and the drug she was taking for Alzheimer's, it's like a shot across the bow. It feels like it allowed us to see how fragile her state is like at any time she could slip into this, but that as soon as the antihistamine wore off, she would be her back to some sort of stable self was like a, whoa, this was actually a glimpse into the future, like a flash forward drug induced, but a flash forward to where life is gonna be, but she's not actually there yet. That's an interesting take. That's exactly right. You heard it here first, people. (laughs) Uh, The reason I bring that up, though, is he may never get this sense of closure with with Rebecca on that particular issue. It's not that he doesn't love her. It's not that he doesn't, you know, all that stuff. It's just that issue may never feel finished for him. And then with the possible, I mean, why would they show us this mother if she wasn't going to surface yeah. in, in some way? Well, and it, and it makes me think. So so I had mentioned, I kind of give you guys the teaser that there was a This Is Us panel and we did get some little bits of information. And one of the bits that someone asked was, are you sticking to your, your sixth season plan? And Fogelman said yes, that they were. However, well, we know or believe that that is very likely that Rebecca passes away at the end of this season. That leaves season six for him to find his mom. That has a whole a huge amount of storylines that, honest to God, Paul, how would he ever stop to think to look for her? How How is this even going to come about? Do you have any predictions for that? None. I was, I mean... I, I was can't surprised. imagine. You think that, like the flash forward timeline would move ahead to to Rebecca dying? 
Okay, let me ask this differently because maybe you're right. So are you saying the end of season six, the very last scene of the end of season six is Rebecca dying? And like we've just already seen that. Like that's the final finale scene. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I'm, I'm, but they've but been I'm building that to up. Go there. That's been what? Three seasons building of of little clips. It's and- been it's been quite a bit for sure. I would say fully two seasons. I'm willing to give you that. Like, well, that's possible. It's possible that they gave us that nugget and that that scene is really coming way down the line. And I'll tell you why else. Within that panel, these are all sneaky, sneaky secrets for you guys. Uh, within that panel, they said that Mandy Moore is pregnant in real life. Now, here's the thing about that. Fogelman also said, so it might be as we're writing the scripts for this season, you just won't see a lot more of older Rebecca. Well, if this was her swan song season, Paul, one would hope that she would feature prominently in this season. But you could do a lot less with her if you fully intend that season six is when she's actually going out. It's interesting because he said they're also spending a lot more time at the cabin than usual. But that's where Miguel and old Rebecca are. Well, it's where they're quarantining. So you're playing this weird game of like, what is new that they had to work in? And what had they always planned to be doing with them? Mm -hmm. They were trying to make it like, oh, well, you know, look, they're like having this self-sustaining gardening situation. And they're staying at the cabin that's oh so familiar to Rebecca to this like way older memory part of Rebecca that stays more stable for people who are losing their memories. You actually can remember that old stuff much better than like current day. Like she couldn't remember where she was going, but she could remember William. So it's like by keeping her in the cabin, you kind of like steep her in old memories, you know? It makes a lot of sense about Nikki showing up. Yeah. Because uh, there's, you know, if she's surrounded by the cabin, even though she's at Kevin's house, which is just over the hill from the cabin. I bet they just move her there once she's finally like truly... And I bet she calls him Jack and he just says, yes, I'm Jack. And that's just yeah. the way it goes. I bet so too. That really speaks to where we were with Rebecca in this story. I know a lot of people are going to say, I've seen a lot of uh, responses here that Miguel really fucked this up once again by uh, allowing her to go off and, and continuously being in that state of, I don't know, I'm gonna, I don't want to say denial, but he never, he always seems to be one step behind in terms of like, well, let's give her the max amount of independence where like all the viewers are always like, well, let her think she's independent, but like track her phone or tail her with the car or like do something to like create a safety net for her. But he's always willing to pull back a little more than we all are. I haven't always been in Miguel's corner, but I think I can sympathize with the guy in terms of he says that there's several good weeks that they had together and that she seemed very normal and he didn't have any indications that things had ramped up so quickly that that day would be this gigantic flare-up if it was you and you were saying it i'm just gonna walk to town and do this or whatever and you'd been fine the last four weeks or however long they say they've been there i don't know that i could stop you right well and this well you don't have to stop me we're just like what i'm seeing on twitter and what i what i'm feeling my own self is you wouldn't you don't stop me you tail me you put a find my phone app on my phone you you call ahead you're too smart for that You call ahead to the bakery I'm supposed to be going to and you let them know I'm coming and to please call me when you see her. I mean, but the main thing is that 
this was a freak occurrence is the main thing to pay attention to. Miguel had no idea she took the antihistamines. This wasn't a bad day. This was a situation where she took medication that interacted poorly with her daily Alzheimer's medication. Yeah. So, I mean, and, and that was very well explained, I thought, with the doctor call and the antihistamine list. Randall was the one who pointed it out. Kudos to him for paying attention. I sometimes wonder about Kevin and Kate and like, my gosh, Randall always is like a sleuth in these situations and they just seem to always be like, oh no, like guys. To be be fair. Always. I uh, always want you to be fair. uh, Kevin had um, uh, a pregnancy emergency. Before we leave Rebecca and Miguel, let's talk about the adorable interactions of Toby calling him Migs and and the metaphor of the apple tree. It was like they they needed to service Tobe a little bit because they hadn't given him much to do. So he got to deliver what he thought was going to be a ham-handed kind of advice, but it worked out pretty well. And it's something that I can actually relate to quite a bit. The The story was about having received his first prescription for antidepressants and then realizing that he had just walked into a lifetime prescription his advice from the doctor was in terms of, are we, am I going to take this forever? Was, well, let's just take it one day at a time. And that got Miguel's cogs spinning in his, in his brain about the, the tree, the tree at the beginning of the first episode that they need to take down because it's dead. His decision to plant seeds instead of a sapling at the end of the second episode. What would you say? Like a, I think it's a hopeful, like an inspirational kind of, yeah, I think it's hopeful. This is something for us to watch together and kind of, realize that it's growing yes day after day that we did this together so get this speaking of our timelines if you were listening carefully they said a sapling if they just planted that they probably have they'd be able to pick fruit in about two years okay if they plant seeds it's six to ten that falls freaking right in my eight to ten year window of when i think she's passing away so it's like hang on and see that apple tree grow to maturity mm-hmm. and, and you know and bear fruit and i mean they're on the family land and everything it's like watch your watch this whole thing bear fruit and then it's okay to pass on metaphorically and i mean quite literally they were planting seeds for us in these two episodes of what's coming next it'd be crazy to to see if that tree's there in the flash forwards. The flash forwards take place in the in the night, so and, Ooh, and they don't really pay. show the yeah. cabin that good. But if we paid real extra special attention, well, I invited our our listeners to definitely check that stuff out. You guys be peeping around for that apple tree, so we can. I bet it will be a really good guide for where we are in terms of her illness. If the apple tree is doing very well, I bet you. But man, I will put money on the table to say if we don't have an ap- if we don't have an episode where they are like the apple tree is looking kind of wilty. Oh man, like having a no, moment about right. the apple tree not doing so good, or the apple tree is thriving today. Like I think sort it's- of a Beauty and the Beast uh, flower. <laughs> sort of, sort of I do think there's something to it for sure. So that really wraps up our Rebecca and Miguel again concerning our flashbacks. I mean, we really have visited the majority of those scenes in previous episodes. This was a different angle. This was showing how close William and Jack got without ever realizing it. They were just ships in the night, basically, several times on the day that the twins were born. And as much as you you might be kind of thinking, well, that's kind of crazy, like why, or or kind of Oh, I, I wouldn't remember who else was at the hospital when my kids were born. But Rebecca did. Rebecca, I spied William hanging around the hospital. That's how she ends up finding him. 
So it's not like one of those things where it's like, oh, this is the first time they brought up that they could cross paths. No, it's just Jack was very wrapped up in becoming a dad and everything. And and I think moms kind of have that surveillance eyes on, you know, and she has a lot. He's very overwhelmed with emotions Wanting her to love the new, the third baby, Randall, and trying to coerce her into like, let's just do this. And she has like all kinds of observation eyes going on. And she's the one that picks up William on her radar. Okay. You got that. But let's talk about Jack in the chapel. I I think there is a lot to mine here in terms of Jack's faith, his relationship with his, his father, things that I can relate to with what he was saying. And then his deal with God, basically, right? Okay. So let's talk about it. Dive in. Well, I find the deal with God the most interesting part, right? Okay. The, let her be okay and let the kids be okay. Take me if you have to take somebody. So it almost sounds like a like a Faustian sort of thing, right? Where you get some amount of time to live your, your dream, but then it gets taken away. Yeah. Plus, not all the kids lived in the first place anyway. So it's a little like a stink deal right off the bat. Even though this show has revolved a lot around Randall, as you and I have had an evolving conversation and relationship with Kevin over these seasons, in a lot of ways, this show seems to be like the manification of Kevin, you know, or mm-hmm. fatherfication, if you will. I think fatherfication is a good one. I think there's going to be a lot of that Jack shadow being cast on Kevin and and how is he going to decide to be a father? What standard is he going to hold himself to? I think that this may even the fact that Kevin's having multiples. I can't help but think that there's some foreshadowing here. I don't know to what extent, but we do know Madison's missing from that flash forward. There could be a million reasons for that that don't involve anything fatal or anything like that. Right. It's also included. <laughs> it's in the fine print, but it's there. You know? Yeah. No, I completely agree. So the scene in the chapel confused me a little bit, to be honest, because I very much appreciated the parallel of having William come in and pray and have Jack come in and pray and how much they were praying for the same thing, for the health of their babies, for the good of their family, you know, please let them be okay kind of thing. So I thought that that part Beautiful, a wonderful way to show the story. I felt like Jack's excitement and anxiousness. I understand that Rebecca was in a place of peril during this. And so for Jack to be having all that like big whirlwind of emotions of being sort of like very excited to be a dad to being very scared, I was uncomfortable with the edge of anger that he had in the chapel. I didn't know if that was actually very realistic. I think the bargaining with God, sure. I think that's all that chapel ever sees. But the whole like thinking about his dad's vein in his neck and really just having that anger felt out of place for me. Like I didn't think that that's who Jack Pearson, who we know as a character, I didn't really feel like he would have anger in that moment. He had a lot of nervous energy for sure. He wasn't getting answers. Yeah. And and the last thing that he heard from a nurse that knew anything was to go and pray. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that faith had not really had a place in his, his life because right. of the way that he looked at it with his the way that his father was. That's what, that's what made him call his dad to, to yeah. just ask him, you know, what were you praying for? It was almost like I'm reduced to this 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 final alternative that i would never normally turn to right 
which maybe anger is not the right place to be, but it is not. It's not. It's not going to be a happy alternative if that's something you've been purposely no, avoiding. Yeah. No. And I'm. And I'm. I. I want to be really clear because it is splitting hairs of emotions. I love the portrayal of Jack. I think that ninety nine percent of the time. The delivery is dead on. It just really stood out to me because we've been parents in a life and death situation. The idea of getting that intensity anger at a time when I feel like we just felt like we would do anything for our children to live and be okay. Like the last thing I was thinking about was like, if my dad had been a dick to me when I was a kid, like it just was, it just wouldn't be on my mind in that chapel. It would be about my spouse in surgery and the babies. And it just, I understand how the, how the stories are laid out and they always are like, you know, kind of shunting in other, you know, life moments, you know, that just kind of weave into them. And, and I'm okay with that n- most of the time. But in this particular case, I mean, really, Paul, I'm, I'm, I'm in surgery. I could die. Your babies could all die. And and you are thinking about where your dad was kind of a dick to you or was an asshole to you over all these years. Like that's where your mind would go? No. It was well, a stretch. I wouldn't wind up in the chapel at any rate. But but that's okay. Even even if you were sitting there thinking, is there any point in time? I don't know. Anger I, I just have a very different personality. Let me let me propose. Okay. Since we have no way of confirming this, yeah, okay. that those scenes with Jack and his dad would be super COVID compatible to film. Very true. Because they were practically alone. Very true. I'm not against the scene and I'm not against the overlay of it. I just felt like it took really took me out of the moment of the that bargaining with God that I'll do anything for this to be okay, that sharpness of anger didn't feel right. Not in that moment, but later it would. Definitely. Especially after one passes away and everything. Oh my God, the flood of anger, the flood of it's not fair. Absolutely. But in that in that perilous, compromised time, I don't know. And I, you guys, listeners, I know we get feedback from you guys where you say like, well, everybody grieves differently and everybody has different ways of handling things fully understand that it's just my personal experience that if you if i had been a fly on the wall or if i had been sharing a chapel with you and you had that anger level i would be very put off and very confused and whatever so for me it just as a beloved character for me i was like uh jack just do other things have other emotions right now it might make more sense if it is foreshadowing or something having to do with kevin or Something. That makes sense that there's going to be these like weird layers of being out of control and stuff. Well, not exactly that. It's more like there have been callbacks before or connections that take place within this show in terms of like bookends. You Mm -hmm. know, maybe maybe this season ends with Madison giving birth. I would imagine it would. Yes. So then the bookend would be Kevin. In the chapel. In the chapel. You know. Right. So I was thinking about that. And do you want to move into Kevin? Do you feel comfortable heading yeah, there? Yeah, sure. Okay. So, and you guys might think right now, like, oh my gosh, there were so many things other to talk about. We know, and we, we have carried this show for so many years that I know that these themes and these these flashbacks and these moments are going to carry through other episodes. So I'm sure we will get back to some of these scenes if we're not talking about them in these two. A scene that stuck out for me concerning Kevin with that is the worry and concern that he had when Madison fell. Mm. And they were in the doctor's office. That could have been a time 
of peril. That could have been a time when you start bargaining with God and you start doing things in your head like, okay, let's do this, let's do that. So it was interesting to see that he was not the dad who was opening the door and yelling out like, get in here, someone get in here and help my, help my, whatever we're calling her at this point, fiance now, but yeah, my baby (laughs) mom, I guess, right? Like he could have played it out like that. He could have been pacing. He could have been anxious. He could have been angry. Why didn't I pick up that suitcase? Oh my God, I could have avoided all of this. Like there could have been a lot of reactions, right? That might actually have paralleled kind of some of Jack's anger, right? Mm -hmm. But he was so different. You know, he was so calm. He was like, do you trust me? Do you, you know, I, I'm telling you to your face that everything's going to be okay. That was a very different, you know, what are you saying? Fatherfication <laughs> process than the process we were seeing Jack go through. That's in my notes here on that moment. I say that he's prone to grandstanding, but this looks sincere. It really did. And I know that people are saying that, you know, there's a lot of times that Kevin doesn't think through what he's doing, but I think he did think through. I I think he was sitting there. I think he was looking at her. I think he was feeling all those emotions of like, this is real. And, you know, for you and I, we can speak very frankly to the idea of babies in your belly are definitely a concept. But when it's time for them to be out in the world or you think you're losing one, they become very, very real. They are no longer a conceptual idea of you being a parent. I didn't – I'll share this moment. I didn't know if we were having girls or boys or a girl and a boy. I hadn't planned on finding out until they were born. But I was I was in distress and they were doing ultrasounds. And at one point, they said that they were both girls. And when they left, I said – I was like, okay, girls – like, we're going to do this. Like, we're going to make it through. And from they went from a concept and an exciting idea to, like, my children. And so I feel like in that moment, the thought of losing them, he went from baby daddy to father, you know? Yeah. And he wanted to be with their mother. So I felt like it was very sincere. And I think it was a very complex emotion that he was having right there and very real. And I think well-written. Well, and well-acted. I mean, of, of all the leads... Justin gets the least, um, I don't know what, recognition, but oh, true, true. he's right there. I, yeah, I think, he's I think right he did great. Him. I agree with you. What did you think about how they actually did the whole COVID reveal with Kate and Toby and, and, and all, the, all the exchange between them? That was a nice change. It was, it was actually a nice welcome back to the show because we had happy Toby doing his Toby business. What are the words coming out (laughs) of your mouth? That was so good. That was so good and so refreshing, like you said. Like I was like, Toby. (laughs) And we had uh, Kate apparently having either grown or is just, you know, invested in in her own shit now that she's got the baby, but she's not, uh, she didn't decide to go into some sort of, spiral about about the fact that her best friend and her brother are you know making babies together that was a very plausible way for her to go in past seasons so for them to not bother with that bullshit this time is welcome i i agree with you so much i exhaled so hard when she was like air hugs i was like we're not going to have to go down a path where she's pissed Hooray! Because <laughs> I didn't want that. We had spent at least the last season, but maybe two seasons, being like, when are they going to let Kate kind of move past these like 
really angsty feelings with other people, with Madison or just just all the time. You felt like she just couldn't quite get along, you know? Yeah. And it was like, yes, she's doing it and she's happy and this is perfect. Like, let's move forward. So what do you think about Madison and Kevin? Do you like how they had them quarantining together? Do you like them as a couple? What do you think of that Japanese guest room? <laughs> I actually do like them as a couple. I mean, I can, I could, I don't know if I can fully appreciate if a movie star got me pregnant and all of a sudden was like turned all of his attention on me. That would be amazing. Cause I'd be like, you go, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there'd be a lot to, to, to unpack there. So much. But, um, what I'm saying though is that when they look at each other though, there's a lot of gazing, you know, a lot of smiling yeah. and, and just gazing at each other. Can I tell you a little secret for a moment? What's I don't that? want you to get off track here, but when oh. you say gazing, I was just on another podcast where we were talking about Emily in Paris and there's some very handsome eye candy men on there. And one of my co-hosts said she lost her breath when she saw them. And I said, wow, I don't ever lose my breath when I see anybody, like truly. like, And I, maybe that sounds super stupid of me, but seriously, I'm just like, they're people, right? <laughs> Hartley coming out of the shower in his towel and her talking. And there was this gaze between them that I was like, and I know that that was like a scary moment, so don't get me wrong. Like, I know it was like, what are you talking about, Kelly? But I was all gaze, Paul, is what I'm just trying to say. <laughs> I was, My eyes were gazing hard. I was like, girl, you hit the jackpot over here. Like you just fell into bed and he is hot, man. And I never <laughs> say that, you guys. This has been years we've been doing this podcast. I've never talked about his looks. Damn. I don't know. What's up? Maybe it's, you know, me and me and Madison, man. We're, we're syncing up. All right. Well, good to know. I'll get you a Justin Hartley poster. And... <laughs> well, when the man gets you pregnant, whoever this movie star is, yeah. and they're, they're gushing attention on you. I just want you to know. I'm be busy over here. That's all I'm saying. Okay. I'm taken care of. Yeah, you got your hall pass all ready. <laughs> out of your pocket and ready to go. Um, what were we saying? You said how much that they were li like sincerely gazing at each other. I can appreciate the idea that if that happened to me, were I Madison, that I would definitely be all smiles and gazy because she had been very unlucky in love. She had had kind of obsessive type problems in her life and then all of a sudden this handsome millionaire is like hey i'm interested in you it would seem like <laughs> everything's fixed i'm yeah. pregnant but everything's fixed you know it, it or, or something something more positive than the way the last however many years have been going you know he had set his intention to the universe when i'm 40 i want to be married i want to have kids you know, he said it and he meant it and it happened. And I think that that's, that's a lesson unto itself, Paul, you know, to just like set your intentions. Who knows what Isn't you that might the secret? find. You, you say your, yes. your desire to say, the world. Say it and mean it and, and you will make choices that lead you there, right? That's boom. A, boom. You get a girl pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder how many people, how many men that acknowledge the secret choose Get a woman pregnant as their and twins as their goal. <laughs> yeah, right out of the gate. 
I'm excited to see the the relationship bloom here. It was interesting how at first they had them quarantined. I was actually really kind of looking forward to them being quarantined. I was willing to stay more time with them, like learning each other and watching that relationship kind of build a little bit. We shot right to the cabin. So there was like no time for just the two of them. I mean, we had that lovely Japanese bedroom scene which i swear to god you know fogelman said i'm never having my wife in bed with hartley and yet here we go <laughs> we did they said a, little a lot of lies over the seasons bait and switch on us there right but uh but that japanese room paul i was dying of course madison has a room that looks like that like i was just i was dying so the big madison and kevin question that i have is is that can uh, a relationship born out of crisis like this because mm-hmm. the the rona and stuff adds a little crisis to it definitely that wasn't probably going to be there in the first place but it it helps can something like that where you come together and you're like, I'm going to help you. And then you're like, well, I actually kind of do start to like you. There's 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 such a thing as like a, a wartime alliance and a peacetime alliance that aren't the same thing. Yes. And can the wartime go to peacetime and, and still survive? I think we, that's a really good question. We, we know that Kevin has a, an attention span history, mm-hmm. you know, and things are very intense right now. So he's focused. And, and, and literally, he's not going to work. You can't be going out and doing anything. Like you have this really, like you said, contrived scenario because of Corona. Like everybody has to be in each other's faces and you have to get along because we're all, this is for the greater good. You know, we're all trying to stay healthy. You're right. This is, that is such a good analogy to say wartime, peacetime. I also was kind of thinking of the idea of like that savior complex. We're all saying, oh, well, he's so attractive and stuff like that. I'm saying he's so attractive. Madison, of course, she's going to fall for him. He is kind to her. He has, he can provide for her. She's pregnant with twins. You know, she, she wants to be taken care of. You have that savior complex situation going on that, She's at some point not going to need to be saved anymore. So will that relationship be able to to stand the test of time? Maybe. I hope for them. But most of those situations don't. Yeah, for sure. I choose. (laughs) Put it in the world. (laughs) I choose to believe that Kevin will be dedicated to her after things calm down. Can I tell you a secret, Paul? It's not about Hartley. Okay. <laughs> it's about something I told you, I want to say two seasons ago. Whenever we really started to have Madison on our radar screen in a way that I was like, you know what? It makes no sense to the Fogelman household for them to not have Madison play a bigger role. Because every con you could ever go to, every book you're ever going to write, every photo shoot you could ever do, every spinoff that could ever be available to you only works if you put your wife in the role with one of the main cast players, right? And you don't want her to end up being hated. So if they bust, you're not going to write your wife into an, what was her name on Breaking Bad? Skylar into a Skylar situation, you're not going to do that to her because she's going to have to live that out as an actress the rest of her days. Is she going to be the jerk from This Is Us who screwed up with Kevin? No, right? I'm just using common sense in the Fogelman household and I'm saying they've got to make good on this <laughs> relationship. going to have a long run. <laughs> she's going to have a long, healthy, happy life with Kevin because 
that brings a lot of money to the Fogelman household. That's right. The more episodes she has her, her credit on, the and more the residuals. More the, the more the audience loves her, the more opportunity she has. I mean, this is a this is a career making scenario as as fandoms go. A lot of the parts of her personality that made her not so fun dissolved in at least because there were other things to deal with in these two episodes obviously she wasn't going to have her picadillo type type traits when she's dealing with the possible loss of a of a child so they were a better better match than you might have originally thought i also want to predict out there that if you guys remember madison has an eating disorder she has a, a dysmorphic idea of, of what her body looks like. She's about to be pregnant with twins. She's going to have a really hard time with this because her body's going to change in a million ways. I, there has to be a storyline to stay true to her character where it's either right after she has the babies or even while she's pregnant that she's going through some psychological shit about her size and maybe she's not eating properly or drinking enough water or doing the things she needs to be doing because – if that doesn't come into play, it doesn't make any damn sense. That has been her entire storyline is that she's in, in this disorder, the eating disorders group. That's how she knows Kate. Exactly. And she, she has anorexia, right? That's the whole storyline behind her. So that's got to come back into play. And being pregnant with twins as someone who has been, you get big real fast. So she's going to have a hard time real fast. I hope that they find the time to do that in what sounds like – since they're mixing in the real world now, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, a busy season with some other characters who already get a lot of time anyway. Absolutely, I, I hope they do them justice. I, th- I really think they they will, and especially like I said, I mean, my goodness, if any character should be well serviced, it should be the boss's wife, the creatives, <laughs> writers' <laughs> wife. I mean, who? How are you going to stick her with a bad situation? Come on now. So what an inter- interesting situation we've had with Toby and Kate in that so much of Baby Jack has been their storyline. And now with Corona, I got to imagine we're not going to see that baby at all. We didn't see that baby at we all. We didn't see that baby in two full episodes. And I can't believe that baby's going to be Maybe anywhere. The different acting guilds have strict rules about how they're going to let their people act. And so and be safe in COVID times. And ter- that includes like all this testing and all that. I got to imagine that maybe that includes the sensitive groups, you know, the the sick and the babies and the and stuff like that. The 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 people with the the conditions that make them more prone to getting worse versions of of, of COVID nineteen. So yeah, I bet you're right. I bet no babies on set. This is a this is a scenario where the real world constraints of filming are, are, are going to dictate this storyline, or at least the way that they can possibly show it to us. Because we, I mean, Paul and I have a deafblind daughter. We were heavily invested in how they were going to handle a, a son with. They were saying they were calling him blind, but I think eventually, after they showed that he could see little lights, I'm going to say vision visually impaired. Blind would not really be an accurate description. So I was very invested. So to already be two whole episodes in, and he isn't on the scene in any way, makes me kind of wonder. You know, how are they going to be consistent with what Toby and Kate are going to be dealing with and be careful with babies on set and adopt a child? We have this addition of an adopted infant, which I have to imagine is going to happen. I'm going with Paul. That happens when Madison and Kevin are having their babies, too. 
there's going to be like a baby convergence at that time. Because so? yeah. the call came in this episode. Yeah, but I think that the only picture they looked at was a picture of a, of a mom. It oh. said Ellie 33. So oh. my guess is she's pregnant. You're right. And so my best guess is that's all going to converge about the same time, which will be an exciting, fun finale, right? All these babies being born and all this excitement. And, and for, for Kevin and Kate to be kind of side by side, Toby, fatherhood as well, to all that fun stuff. But where does Baby Jack come in? How are they going to play out this storyline? Wild, right? I don't know. I hadn't really even noticed that we didn't see Baby Jack until you just brought it up. But yeah, he was always down sleeping. for a nap or you can't see him because of covid so he's in the house or whatever so well he was sleeping they just said he was sleeping which is you know okay that's cool and hey we had some really heavy subject matter this is just getting back into everything that was going on with kevin and randall and the argument so we had some big stuff i mean i think viewers would have been railing if we were sitting there playing tinker toys with a baby you know they'd be like get him off the screen (laughs) i want to know what's going on over at the pearson's you know at at the randall's house or whatever what do you think toby and kate what's their trajectory i mean we've got this adoptive baby storyline toby seems to be better on track on medication but we know by the flash forward Something's missing. Something's missing. And we we only have... Sad Toby. X amount of episodes to get to that point. So what do we think is happening here? We're not 100% sure what's missing, right? Right. Is it Kate? We don't know. We know Baby Jack makes it to superstardom. We do know that, yeah. As an adult. Thankfully. We know that Hizzy has an adopted sister. Right. Absolutely. That shows up later. Mm -hmm. Um, So so that's okay. So this is all going to go through. It's the Kate that's missing. Yeah. So still not great about that. I'm glad to see some growth out of her, Paul. I'm really glad to see that because she had few and far between moments in this two episodes because there was a huge focus on Rebecca and Randall and Kevin. Well, and, and she wasn't tied up in herself. She she wasn't. She was. She wanted the brothers to make peace. She was out on the outside of that. She didn't know what was what was the deal with them. And she wanted them to settle whatever it was, unaware of the seriousness of what they actually said to each other and all that. Do you think that's true? I mean, I'm not sure. I, I don't think that that was 100% crystal clear for me that did she or didn't she know exactly what Kevin said? I don't think she knew. Okay. Because surely if she knew, she would like beat kevin's face up right because that's i mean he is clearly in the wrong right i mean we can all say randall really overstepped his bounds in manipulating rebecca to to try to deal with the with the the clinical trial you know maybe we would do it ourselves i'm not saying we wouldn't but still we would still be overstepping you know to to really be kind of pushing in any direction but then kevin's words i mean what how do you take that shit back? And for those of you who maybe skimmed over, maybe you were getting a drink when he was saying it, maybe you didn't remember from last year, but he said this was the worst day of his life he thought was the day Jack died and no, it was the day they brought Randall home from the hospital. Hand to God. How do you recover from such a horrible, hateful statement? I don't know that you do. I mean, there's there's what we saw, which is a very common man thing, which is, well, you just move on. Don't acknowledge it in any way. You, you don't have any kind of substantive conversation after that. But, right. but uh, it, yeah, you just keep going. On the topic of Kate, though, I mean, she kept contacting Randall. She's the one that got him to the cabin in the first place. She wants it all fixed. She was a little out of her depth when she went and tried to tried to see what was going on with Randall and, and, and offer, I don't know what the right word is, 
thoughts, good thoughts for him and his family during this critical period. All those things indicate that she's thinking about others in a way that that I haven't seen so much in past Kate. So even though Randall shut her down pretty roughly, well, it's still a good direction in general. It is a good direction. She she's she's really showing, like I said, some growth, which is something that we've really harped on. <laughs> I think if you go back to some of our older coverage of this, we're really like, God, Kate, you're killing us, you know? So to see her be able to step out of herself and it being kind of clumsy is actually fair because she she isn't someone with 40 years of stepping outside of herself and seeing things from other people's POVs. As clumsy and awkward as that conversation was with Randall, I can tell you, again, watching the Twitter feeds and, and seeing what's going on in the world, a lot of people said, yes, that conversation was truly awkward but needed to be had from Randall's point of view. That it was something that, you know, he needed to say to her and and she needed to understand that this is going to be very, very different for him, what he's going through. And that we're not just going to be able to just say, I'm sorry, and have that fix anything. It's not going to fix things between Kevin and Randall. It's not going to fix the larger world, you know, mm-hmm. a, a, a ha- and it, it was a sincere sorry from her point of view, I felt. I didn't think she was just throwing it out there. But like he said... It didn't get to the to the meat of really what was going on and what the hurts were. And so therefore, the, it was fluff for him to have to hear. Right. Well, he said it. What are you what are you sorry about? Right? Yeah, specifically. Yeah. So so that gets us moving over to Randall and Beth and what's going on in their family. Lots of things moving with them. I mean, the lighter things. We have Deja and Malik having their one year anniversary. Paul, can you believe it? How I, fast the time has flown for those little birds. <laughs> right. <laughs> Just yesterday they were skipping school. <laughs> right. And she was all scared about him making being a player. Remember that? That was a yeah. whole concern for a while there. Apparently that's been solved. I Well, I mean, hey, I thought it was very romantic that he brought over the same meal to cook for her that he cooked at their very first meeting. Very like, like points, Malik points. How do you think audiences are going to respond to the conversation that Randall has with Malik on the steps? Malik's explanation of how his family is trying to sort things out for him and try to help him understand and relate to what's going on in the world versus Randall and his family life and where he was coming from and how he was trying to deal with all different injustices throughout his growing up. I think you're going to find generational differences in how significant they think that argument is. You go back enough generations and the killing of a black man would not make the news. You go back when we were kids, the same age as as Randall, and it occasionally made the news, especially if someone videotaped it, right? Thinking Rodney King, it wasn't a murder, but it it was an assault. That was a national conversation for a bit, and now things are, are different. So if you're, say, 20 or younger, then or maybe 30 or younger, you'll look at this in a completely different light, where this has been like, wait a second, this has been happening kind of every day, it feels like. This is totally different. The reason I bring up the generational aspect of it is just, like you said earlier, there seems to be this shadow being cast on Jack and Rebecca's uh, dealing with these issues. But 
at the time and in that place, I don't know that I don't know who was dealing with those issues like that. I think that that's a really fair statement. What you just said is that in 2020, this is a time when the light has been shed so far and wide and people are so willing to have this conversation now. But the reality is that we grew up at the same time as Randall and Kevin and Kate and our parents didn't have these conversations with us and we were not as aware. We we didn't have the internet. Things were not as accessible to everyone to be able to even know the details to talk about with your kids. We didn't know the stories in the same way. Certainly there were stories. Like you said, Rodney King I'm I'm wondering what they're going to do with this, and I and and what I'm seeing on on Twitter is is mixed. I see predominantly now that the second episode has finished. That there's a lot of people who are feeling like this was a much needed conversation. Randall needed to have this realization. This is a, a fictional character, but a real life experience that he's having that a lot of people are relating to. So all of those things, I think that they may really be gaining a foothold with some audience members where at the same time, like I said, I think that people who felt like they understood Jack and Rebecca and really felt like looking back at those conversations that they had about, you know, how can we support him? Do you remember the Mr. Lawrence storyline? Yeah. You know, Rebecca struggling, wanting to do right by by him and, and being sure, you know, like, do I use sunscreen? What do I do? Like, there was all these questions. Like, I, I don't think that it was that his skin color was ever not a conversation. I mean, I think it was there, but I definitely agree that at least the scenes that we've never that we've seen so far did not shed the light like wider on larger issues that now the show is going to do because he is an adult man. So it makes sense that when he was a, a little guy, they were small like poolside concerns. Do I use sunscreen? Do I not use sunscreen? Like that was the concern cuz we were cuz they were just kids. Whereas now he's an adult man, a politician, you know, in charge of other people, has a family, all this stuff. Like, it's you would have a much broader worldview. So now it makes sense to like take on those issues. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's what I'm seeing on Twitter. I'm seeing this 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 mishmash of like, yes, this must be a conversation we need to be had, and like hesitance about are you going to bash Jack and Rebecca for not exposing him to a larger world that in like the 80s we just weren't doing well i feel like the writers through randall's mouth to kate especially what he what they're saying is something along the lines of okay so they didn't but should they have and the answer is obviously yes sort of like you should have done better with your kids I think that they did have that moment where there was a should have done better because Kate does have that conversation with Toby where she comes back in and explains to him what Randall was upset about outside and, and was trying to explain her her concern and, and, and lack of understanding of exactly what to do about this. It was important to have Toby say to the audience, basically, my Oprah saying, right, when you know better, you do better and we're going to raise our kids better than our parents raised us. Nobody has to be shaming Jack and Rebecca. And that's the part that I'm seeing on Twitter. That's like, are you going to start? Are you going to continuously go back and shame them? That's, for, for That 40? explains the Jack in the chapel. Then. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, yes. Are you going to go back and keep keep shaming your parents for what they did? Or are you going to say, 
I'm going to do better because you're right. That's exactly what Jack's dad said. I was praying that my kids turn out better than I did. And Jack did. And Jack did. And Jack's kids are turning out better than Jack was. And so hopefully all, you know, this next generation of Pearsons will do even better. You know, they will be even more educated, more informed, kinder, more tolerant people. They did touch on in the in the panel that sort of toxic masculinity that they just continue to try to break that down with Toby and Miguel and Kevin and Randall all being kind, you know, loving, caring parents, fathers, Malik being a kind boyfriend, you know, not showing up, acting uh, too tough or anything like that, but being yeah. be, being like a kind heart, you know, a soft touch, if you will. And so I think that that, that was really breaking down all that stuff. I think that's like an awesome cyclical moment there that and and what Fogelman said on that on that panel is that he wanted these two episodes to be seen side by side because the first episode was so very heavy and it moved into a little bit more hopeful a little bit more hopeful and by the end when Toby's saying we're going to teach our children better than what our parents taught us that's how we should be going into episode three we're we're only going to get better from here, you know, mm-hmm. in, in our in the way that we portray things on TV and the way we raise our kids, everything all around. We're we're going to do better, everybody. So I think that that was a very hopeful message for this supersized block of Pearson we got. I was wondering, was Randall's character his his arc? Was it going to take him we down this same path before the events of the world? kind of played into the show and my answer i think is yes yes he was always looking for that that identity and i and this helped crystallize it for him but i think something was going to do that anyway like we had that alternate history of him where he went to howard Mm. and he did engage more with the black community than he had in his real life i guess well in his like right in his like actual timeline yeah and so that kind of tells me that that desire was in there you know if 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 the fork had gone a different direction that's how he would have gone mm-hmm. you know can i can i submit the idea that maybe world events primed the audience for them to be able to do this because I yeah. think that Randall's character always could have gone this direction, but the audience might not be ready to listen, might not be ready to accept what truths might be said on their television set to them. But because of world events, because of Corona and there being like a, a much greater sense of like, we need to look out for each other, like we all affect each other. There's definitely that vibe. And then, of course, the Black Lives Matter movement really shedding light on huge systemic issues that we all need to be better aware of and more educated. This was a this was a scenario where the audience was finally ready and I think that they just seized it. They they might have done the same thing but but like Randall Light version, you know, like where they don't go quite they don't go quite as in depth. You know, like he can go to therapy, which was a big deal last season. Yeah. Because within the black community, they were very clear that this was like a difficult step for him to take. Um so now to Fire his white therapist and say, I'm going to find a black therapist so that I feel I can even speak more to my authentic experience. I don't know that they even would have done that. I don't know that the writers would have done that. 
Mm-hmm. Like, so there's little moves that I think where they like were able to turn the volume up a little bit and people were, were, were still willing to listen. I think you're onto something there. Even though there's some need to, to view TV as, as escapist and not wanting to see the, the news on TV, basically as, as entertainment, we have all absorbed what is the state of things. Mm-hmm. I think there's so much. I mean, if you go from the idea that internationally – how much we our lives are interwoven. I mean, one person in a in a country thousands and thousands and thousands of miles away could affect us here in our homes, in our little towns, and change the way we do things in our lives. I mean, that's mind blowing for most people to really wrap their head around until we're all like living it. You know, you can layer in Black Lives Matter in the same way. That's like you can't you cannot turn away from things that are happening to your neighbors. You cannot act like things are not happening when they are. We're all making that realization at the same time. And the show, like I said, it will all depend on how they decide to to serve up this information to the audience. But I Mm -hmm. do think the audience is at the table. I do think they're willing to listen and they're willing to hear. And This Is Us has a very unique a blend of being able to deliver things in their metaphors and their soft jack stories and different ways that perhaps people, you know, this information will get through better. You are definitely going to have a, a, a section of the audience who, like I said, I can see on Twitter who are like, what? <laughs> yeah. I wanted to, I didn't want to, I need to close the door and draw the blinds and I really don't want to think about what's going on outside. And for those people, whether they agree with what the show is saying or not, they just might not be able to take it in because it's an overwhelming time right now. It's fair. So so some people might just say like, I can't, I got to turn this off, you know, and maybe we'll be able to watch it next year or this in a couple months when things hopefully are better. It's a big deal what the show has chosen to do. And um, I'm really eager. It's it's exciting for us as people who are watching it and critiquing it and analyzing it to have these extra layers of like, well, how is this going to be received? Um, that's not something that we've spent a whole lot of time talking about. I do want to say that the majority of things that I'm seeing on Twitter currently now that the second episode is completed is honestly being very supportive of the show very encouraged that the show was willing to go there that they were willing to talk about different different moments from them having like the family conversation in the watching tv in the living room and them turning on family feud instead because they needed a break yeah like all those little tiny moments people said just felt so real like as if someone had been listening into everyone's homes right now and that they really were nailing it i i would say that that overall I think that they're getting great feedback from their their audience. So we'll see how that plays out for them. It's noble and it's and it's probably the right course for them to 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 do that with with the character and the platform that they have. We have been um reviewing a variety of shows over this corona times and one of the things that we have really given accolades to are the shows that have been willing to take some risks. Uh, we finished the show the third day, which featured a 12-hour live episode, which seems wildly insane, but it was captivating. I'm going to say this is a risk to do because you, I think you are going to lose some audience members, but I think you're going to endear so many more that it's a very calculated risk. And I think during this time when so few things are really coming out on TV, it's something they can afford to do. You know, there's not a thousand things to go necessarily watch that are brand new. It's a very calculated risk right now. That's true, man. 
I think that concludes our coverage of Season 5, Episodes 1 and 2 of This Is Us. If you like this podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe it on... Uh, subscribe it. And subscribe to it on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Five stars, people. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you for listening. This has been an original Pod Clubhouse production. Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com. Rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you.